You're listening to the Maastricht Diplomat. Hi, I'm Chiara, and this is the third episode of the podcast series of the Maastricht Diplomat called Crooktocracy. There are various different forms of government in the world. There's democracy, aristocracy, technocracy, and crooktocracy. Crooktocracy is the government of crooks, of thieves, of corrupted representatives pursuing their own interests and using public money for personal gain. Maybe your country was a crooktocracy in the past, and now hopefully it has a better government. Or maybe it is a crooktocracy right now, but you still don't know it. This series is about the biggest corruption scandals in the world and how they have shed a light on those crooktocracies, changing those countries their future, and their image forever. The first episode was called Clean Hands and is about the biggest corruption scandal in Italian history. For the second episode, we analyzed the controversial car wash scandal in Brazil. In this final episode of Crooktocracy, we will talk about the 1MDB scandal in Malaysia. Let's get into it. What do Miranda Kerr, a painting by Picasso, and the Wolf of Wall Street have in common? They all received gifts or were paid with money coming from the One Malaysia Development Berhad, or 1MDB. 1MDB was a Malaysian state fund created by Prime Minister Najib Razak in 2009. One Malaysia was the slogan of his political campaign. Malaysia is a very diverse country, both due to ethnic and religious reasons, and Najib wanted to send a message of unity. No matter your race, no matter your religion, we are one Malaysia. 1MDB was created to invest Malaysian taxpayer money abroad, generating huge returns, and to fuel the Malaysian economy through foreign direct investment. 1MDB should transform the Malaysian developing economy into an advanced high-income one, either by making money or by building infrastructure. The foreign direct investment we receive in Malaysia provides jobs and skill transfers and improves the standard of living for millions of families and we welcome it wherever the investors come from. Just as I can tell you that Prime Minister Najib came to power just as the country was starting to cope with the global financial crisis. He had studied in the UK and was widely regarded, also abroad, as a fine Malay Englishman. He made promises of reform, expanding the economy, and showed great concern towards the poor. 1MDB seemed like a good idea to fulfill all of his proposals. Unfortunately, it would only squander Malaysian money. This scandal was brought to light by Xavier Justo. He was the son of Spanish immigrants to Switzerland, aged 48. He had not attended university, but had become a successful businessman. Justo was a close friend of Tarek Obeid, a Saudi man. Obeid offered Justo a position as director of the company he had founded, Petro Saudi, in December 2009. He needed a professional to ensure that the company's growth did not stall. Obeid managed to persuade Justo, and I suppose a salary of 400,000 pounds plus millions in bonuses sounds quite appealing. 
Since he was a native Spanish speaker, he was mainly in charge of expanding business in Venezuela, rather than in Malaysia. However, soon things started going badly. Justo's salary, if he received it, was only about half of what he had been promised, even though Obeid was growing richer and richer and living a more luxurious life. Fed up with his old friend, Justo decided to resign in March 2011. His severance was less than agreed, and in an outburst of rage, Justo stole sensitive data from the PetroSaudi server. He warned Obeid that if he wasn't paid, he'd use this information against him. In the end, Justo contacted British journalist Claire Rue Castle-Brown and provided her with 227,000 emails, transcripts and faxes, which she published in 2015. From that moment onwards, justice departments and anti-corruption units all over the world opened their eyes and started investigating. What does this have to do with 1MDB? Before we get there, there is one important player I must introduce. Malaysian businessman Joe Lowe. He attended boarding school in the United Kingdom and made friends with many children of ruling families from around the world, including Najib's stepson, Riza Aziz. He founded the investment and advisory firm Jinwell, but no one knew what it was doing because there was no track record. He was known for being a whale, a big spender on gambling and nightlife. He partied with Hollywood's most famous people. According to one anecdote, he was once in a club where Lindsay Lohan was partying. Someone told him it was her 23rd birthday, so he ordered 23 bottles of champagne as a gift. Shortly after, someone else told him that in reality, it wasn't her birthday and that he had been played. In response, he ordered 23 other bottles of champagne. So Jolo ran a shady company led a less-than-discreet lifestyle, and somehow became Najib's advisor in charge of 1MDB when he was only 29 years old. And by somehow, I mean because of his relationship with Najib's stepson, Riza Aziz. The 1MDB fund was similar to others in rich oil-producing countries in the Middle East. Because they were the least affected by the financial crisis, they had a lot of surplus capital to invest, and Najib wanted to make sure that Malaysia had a special relationship with them. In 2009, 1MDB took a loan of about $1.2 billion and invested within a few weeks 95% of this into one single company, PetroSaudi. As I said before, the company was new, so it lacked a history or record and no one knew much about it. So why would the Malaysian government put all of this taxpayer money into PetroSaudi? The answer is very simple. Apart from Husto's friend Obeid, Prince Turki bin Abdullah of Saudi Arabia was a shareholder in PetroSaudi. And guess who knew Turkey? Joe Lowe. He was the one who brought PetroSaudi and the Malaysian government together. PetroSaudi's business model was straightforward. It wanted to profit from revenue earned by state-owned oil companies in developing countries, and its credibility was enhanced by the Saudi royal family's strong backing. PetroSaudi 
claimed to own oil fields in Turkmenistan that it would use as a collateral, which means that if it did not repay a loan, the creditor could seize the fields to recover his debt. But they never had these fields. In no country did they ever have any oil fields. Essentially, this joint venture between 1MDB and PetroSaudi involved the first party bringing $1 billion to the table and the other party bringing nothing. Was it a scam? With Justo's whistleblowing in 2015, it was revealed that only $300 million of the $1 billion invested in PetroSaudi actually ended up there. The remaining $700 million were transferred to a Swiss account managed by Gold Star Limited, a Seychelles-based company that had nothing to do with PetroSaudi. And again, guess who was the sole person authorized to sign on behalf of Good Star? It's him again, Joe Lowe. So yes, the PetroSaudi joint venture was a scam, a fake agreement that stole a fortune from Malaysian taxpayers. Unfortunately, it was not the only episode of 1MDB incurring losses and investing in single companies with no history linked to friends of Najib's son. Speaking of Najib's son, Riza Aziz was the co-founder of a Hollywood film production company called Red Granite Pictures. In 2013, one of its masterpieces came out, The Wolf of Wall Street. The movie was insanely expensive. $100 million were spent on it. I'm sure I won't surprise you if I tell you that Joe Lowe was among the investors. And the Golden Globe goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. He and Riza Aziz were even thanked by name in Leonardo DiCaprio's Golden Globes acceptance speech. Thank you to the entire production team, Joey, Riz, Joa, thank Joey, Riz, and Joe. Thank you for being uh, not only collaborators, but taking a, a risk on, on this movie, truly. Too um, bad that the U.S. Department of Justice believes that the funding of The Wolf of Wall Street can be directly traced back to the PetroSaudi and 1MDB joint venture. The irony of all of this is simply bittersweet. After the Lehman Brothers default, the few investment banks that had survived decided that it was best to focus on emerging markets such as Asia. And here, Tim Leisner, our final key player, enters the picture. As Joe Lowe, he was known for being a womanizer and a partier. He was the Southeast Asia head of Goldman Sachs and saw an opportunity in 1MDB. The 1MDB fund was depleted after the joint venture with PetroSaudi, and Najib and Joe were looking for new money. Between 2009 and 2014, Goldman Sachs, through Leisner, issued three different sets of bonds, totaling $6.5 billion. To put it simply, a bond is a loan. Goldman agreed to lend 1MDB first $1.4 billion, then $1.3 billion, and so on, in exchange for periodic interest payments. With so much money at stake, the bank's major risk committee should have investigated the transactions more thoroughly. But this did not happen. Goldman demanded 200 times the normal fee to issue these bonds. According to US prosecutors, Goldman earned a total of $600 million. Because the operation was corrupt, Goldman requested fees that no other investment bank would have ever charged probably because they would have not accepted the scheme in the first place. The proof that it was corrupt? 
The first bond, worth $1.4 billion, was diverted to a Swiss offshore company, while the second bond, worth $1.3 billion, was diverted to an account in Singapore. But the money from Goldman Sachs was supposed to be used to build infrastructure, at least in theory. In 2012, Najib launched the Tun Razak exchange project. He wanted to attract investments into Malaysia by constructing a new financial district in Kuala Lumpur. It was named after Tun Razak, Malaysia's second prime minister and Najib's father. The project was ambitious, to say the least. It included 26 buildings and over 21 million square feet of office, residential, hotel, retail, food and beverage and cultural offerings. Obviously, a massive amount of money was required. Goldman Sachs, among other investors, assisted 1MDB by raising $3 billion. However, the construction site was semi-abandoned and projects were hanging or stopped because no one was certain there would be enough money to finish them. This certainly raises the question of whether this kind of investment was the best way to spend 1MDB funds or whether it ended up being only a waste of public money. At this point, I guess the general scheme is quite straightforward. First, steal the money. Second, hide it under a shell company. And third, move the shells around until no one knows where the money is. Jolo set up numerous shell companies in countries with poor regulatory requirements, using names that sounded credible and legitimate. Jolo stole an incredible amount of money from 1MDB and Malaysian taxpayers and spent it on a luxury yacht, paintings by Monet and Picasso, an apartment previously owned by Jay-Z and Beyoncé, condos, hotels, Las Vegas gambling, diamonds, and a crystal piano for model Miranda Kerr. She even had a room built around the piano in her house so that the FBI couldn't physically seize it because they couldn't remove it from the room. Very simply put, Joe was the money bag for everyone. Indeed, also Najib and his wife received money. Specifically, $681 million. His wife, Rosma, was living a very lavish life. The story goes that she once took a trip to Hong Kong and spent so much money shopping that she ended up filling an entire jet plane to the brim. But as every corruption story, nothing lasts forever. In March 2014, Malaysian newspaper The Edge reported that 1MDB had approximately $10 billion in debt and there were serious concerns about its ability to repay it, especially since most of the deals had been concluded in US dollars. When asked about it, Joe Lowe stated that in his understanding, 1MDB clearly had more assets than liabilities, and that the key for him was how quickly these assets were monetized. Not surprisingly, the Malaysian government was unable to service 1MDB's debt. So it launched a Ponzi scheme a type of fraudulent investment in which existing investors are paid with funds collected from new investors. In practice, they used funds from other government agencies to repay the 1MDB debt. But obviously, once that hole was filled, they needed new money to fill the next one, and so on. The Tabung Haji, or TH, was one of these agencies. It was a state-owned company that managed a fund 
into which Malaysian Muslims could invest to finance their future pilgrimage to Mecca. Not every Muslim can afford to visit Mecca at least once in their lives, particularly in a poor country like Malaysia. Some Malaysian Muslims had been investing in TH for 50 or 60 years, their entire lives. And all of a sudden, the money was gone. As we have seen before, Husto came forward in 2015 and the entire Petro-Saudi deal was revealed. This, combined with the Edge's previous allegations, prompted investigations by justice departments all over the world. Meanwhile, Malaysian citizens' disillusionment, rage and sense of injustice became unbearable. In the last week of July 2015, Najib carried out what became known as the Week of Long Knives, sacking four ministers, the attorney general who was investigating the scandal, and his deputy prime minister. He began arresting people simply for discussing 1MDB, asking questions or opposing him. He even shut down newspapers. Numerous rallies were held in Malaysia's major cities from August 29th to August 30th the day before Independence Day. These rallies were known as Bersi 4. Bersi, which means clean in Malay, was the name of a coalition of non-governmental organizations calling for electoral reform in Malaysia. It had previously asked for free, fair and clean elections, but following the 1MDB scandal, it also demanded Najib's resignation and greater transparency. In Kuala Lumpur, 500,000 people marched through the streets wearing yellow, the protest color. To save face, a counter-protest in support of Najib, called the Malay Dignity Rally, was organized on September 16th, Malaysia's founding day. The rally was racist in nature, Participants were given red t-shirts to create contrast with the yellow ones. They were paid to participate and even bust to Kuala Lumpur. Despite all this, Najib rose to greater power than ever before. Consequently, the only way to hold his corrupt government accountable was through elections. In early 2018, the opposition agreed to make 92-year-old Mahathir Mohamed their running candidate. He had previously been Prime Minister and Najib's mentor, but he had strongly condemned his actions. Many people came out to support him at his rallies, but his victory was uncertain, almost impossible. On May 9th, the streets were filled with happy people each showing off their black inked finger. In Malaysia, to prevent voters from voting twice, black ink that is difficult to remove is applied to their fingers. It was a symbol of high voter turnout in the 2018 elections. On May 10th, the euphoria on the streets was pervasive. Malaysians had come up as one to vote in force and successfully managed to elect Mahathir. He became the world's oldest leader. What is the situation today? Najib maintains that he had no knowledge of the scheme and that he is only being blamed because he was the man at the top, despite the fact that his mind was in the right place. Najib was facing 42 criminal charges for corruption and money laundering. This summer, he was sentenced to 12 years in prison for criminal breach of trust, abuse of power and money laundering. 
he is still being tried in four other corruption cases. When the police raided his private residences, they seized $240 million in luxury goods, 284 boxes of handbags and 72 bags of cash, jewelry and watches. A few days later, his wife Rosma was sentenced to 10 years in prison for seeking and accepting bribes in exchange for government contracts. She was also fined $216 million, a record amount in Malaysian history, for three bribery charges. In a separate case, she faces 17 charges of money laundering and tax evasion. Najib's stepson, Riza Aziz, had his money laundering charges dropped in exchange for returning assets worth more than $107 million. The US Department of Justice charged Tim Leisner with money laundering and foreign bribery. He is yet to be sentenced. Goldman Sachs could be held legally responsible for a variety of offenses, including fraud and violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act in the US. Malaysia has filed criminal charges against 17 current and former directors of Goldman Sachs. It sought penalties in excess of $7.5 billion. According to Goldman, Malaysian charges are misdirected. Joe Lowe is facing criminal charges in both the United States and Malaysia. He maintains his innocence despite having been forced to forfeit over $900 million in stolen assets to the US government. A fugitive at large, he is nowhere to be found. Rumors say he is currently in China. To sum up, the mind-blowing aspect of 1MDB is how close it is to things we would never even associate with corruption. Who would ever think that there is some sort of connection between a film with Leonardo DiCaprio and Malaysian taxes? 1MDB is a truly global scandal that depicts an unthinkable web of dirty money. In total, $4.5 billion were stolen from 1MDB and therefore Malaysian taxpayers. And that debt will rest on Malaysian taxpayers for the next 20 years. Money that could be spent on infrastructure and welfare will instead be used to pay off 1MDB's debt. And this is the true issue of corruption. Not only doing something morally wrong, namely stealing money, but also condemning a country for years and years to come to a terribly burdensome economic situation. This was 1MDB Malaysia, the third and last episode of Cryptocracy, a series about corruption scandal from all over the world. I hope you enjoyed this and all the other episodes. We have talked about three different stories, three different countries that have been forever changed by corruption. There was always a seemingly insignificant event that ended up revealing many secrets that had been swept under the rug. Which story did you like the most? Let us know your comments and opinions on all our social media accounts. I'm Chiara. Thank you for sticking with me through this series. Slamat tingal. Bye. The music for this episode has been produced by Stone Ocean. This episode has been produced and recorded by Chiara Vilta. Edited by Chiara Vilta and Jonathan Vijay Ratna. Audio technician, Sharad Abdullah.